Support for Starting Small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high-performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day, from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Brandon Leibel, co-founder of SandCloud, beautifully crafted beach towels with a mission to protect our oceans. After quitting their corporate job and moving in together, the three co-founders decided to reinvent the beach towel by creating a lightweight, sand-resistant towel experience. Since launch, SandCloud locked in a deal with Robert Herjavec from Shark Tank and created many viral social media campaigns. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Brandon Leibel of SandCloud. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I want to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I grew up in Long Island, uh, New York, a pretty middle-class blue-collar suburb called East Meadow. Um, two oldest of three boys, um, played a lot of, played sports growing up, um, big family. My mom, uh, my mom's side is uh, from Iran. My dad's side is American. So very just, you know, big disparity between the families. So I got a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. My mom's family, very loud and creative. My dad's family, a little more nine-to-five oriented, um, just very by the books. But yeah. it was a good mix, just seeing a little bit of everything, seeing the entrepreneurs. On my mom's side, a lot of my uncles owned antique stores in Manhattan and a lot of real estate and were very entrepreneurial from their, from their early 20s on. And then my dad's side, um, his brother works in finance and he works in finance, finance in New York City himself. So got a little taste of that as well. And being exposed to both sides, I think, was was really good and in, in helping me kind of see where I fit in in the world. Yeah. So growing up in your position, would you say you had an entrepreneurship mindset, say Sony products or lemonade stands or anything like that? Yeah, I think so. I think that I would, you know, I would shovel driveways as a kid. I would try to sell baseball cards. I was... Definitely, definitely on the more creative kind of do my own thing track. I, I had a lot of different jobs, odd jobs. I worked as a, I delivered pizza. I worked uh, as an umpire for Little League. I was always pretty much doing random things to make money when I was in high school and even college. And I think that, you know, I kind of just realized that I was more built to be an entrepreneur. I was more built to you know, start something and, and kind of control my own destiny. I wasn't really, a, a, I wasn't really a happy camper. I wasn't someone that was, you know, willing to, or just good at taking instruction yeah. and working in a, in a very confined and, and structured uh, atmosphere. I wasn't, I didn't really uh, bode well in that structure. So, so yeah, I, th- I think that definitely. Um, and I think being exposed to, being exposed to you know family members of of that track as well kind of gave me the confidence that hey it's possible for sure 
So I saw you went on to study at San Diego State University in 2008. What did you study there? So I studied television and film. I originally wanted to get into film on the creative side. I wanted to go to Los Angeles and, and you know, work on films and, and uh, the creative aspect of, of movie making. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a few internships in LA when I was in college. And I, I realized that it wasn't really for me, the, the, the LA scene wasn't really, wasn't really, you know, speaking to me like I thought it would. Yeah. Um, so after I graduated, I wanted to stay in San Diego instead of going to LA. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to, um, you know, graduate, go live by the beach, like, you know, a lot of, a lot of graduates of SDSU would do and just figure out how to make money and enjoy the, enjoy the weather and enjoy the, you know, being 21 and, and in San Diego. So I got a job at a insurance company just to pay the bills. And I think I lasted 10 months in the corporate world before we started SandCloud. Wow. So with your time at San Diego State, were you involved with any athletics or clubs, say around film? Around film, not so. I was in the I was in the program, the media studies program. Yeah, me and me and some friends made some short films, and we I would write, you know, scripts with some of my friends who were also in the program, and that was really the extent of it. I was really just trying to find my way and just mature um, socially, and just you know try a little bit of everything. I I worked for the school as an event planner the last year, where I planned helped plan concerts and different social events for student body. I was big in intramurals. I was in the fraternity, head of sports, sports chair. So I was just trying to just live, you know, have the big, the best experience I could in college and meet the most amount of people and, and have just the experience that would help sustain a full life. And I was lucky to do that. I still have a lot of great friends from school. A lot of my best memories were in San Diego state and I would definitely give it a lot of credit to helping helping me get to where I am. Awesome. So following college and prior to Santa Cloud, you mentioned the insurance job. What was your like specific position? What were you doing at that job? So I was selling um, I was selling life insurance. Okay. On a um, so it was it was pretty much I mean the way I describe it to people it was kind of like office space meets workaholics. Yeah. <laughs> where it was me and actually like eight friends from college who all worked at the same company and we sold life insurance on the phone, pretty much cold calling two, 300 people a day and selling them insurance over the phone. And it was fun. It was frustrating. It was exciting and it was depressing at the same time. So it was all just a roller coaster of emotions. And I was 22, I think when I got, when I got fired from that job, and I pretty much got myself fired. I was just checked out. And I realized early on that I just wasn't meant to be there. I just want, you know, I wasn't fit for this kind of structure. Yeah. So then getting fired was pretty much the best thing that ever happened to me because that kind of led me and my two partners, Steven and Bruno, on our way to creating SandCloud. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Brandon's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Greenworks Tools. Greenworks is the leader in battery-powered outdoor power tools for the DIY consumer and landscaping professional. I received their self-propelled lawnmower, 60 volt, and wow, it has changed the entire experience. It's completely efficient, battery-powered, no more gas, no more smell, no more loud noises, nothing. 
I highly recommend this brand, and if you would, make sure to check them out at greenworkstools.com for more, and enjoy the rest of the episode. San Claude comes around 2014 is when you launched. What is the overall inspiration um, for you and your co-founders to come up with this idea? So the, the initial idea was a beach towel with a pillow inside. It was something that me and Steven had designed to just sell to friends and family. And just, we thought it was a, a cool idea. We lived two blocks from the beach. We spent a lot of time there and after work, we'd go and chill and play volleyball and hang out with friends, throw the football. And after we were done, you know, we lay down on the sand and we're like, Hey, why, why is there no pillow in our beach towel? So that was the original concept that pretty much launched the entire thing. And we called it the sand cloud. So that's what kickstarted the company. But you know, we've come the, the roads and the turns and the ups and downs we've had since then have been crazy. We, pivoted we we've changed you know our strategies but the overall idea was beach towels we thought that there was a, a need in the market and an opening for a brand to come and kind of reinvent beach towels and bring it to the digital social media driven age yeah and we leveraged instagram and facebook to build the brand around you know the best and coolest brightest you know most photogenic towels we can make and we just built a community around it in San Diego and didn't stop for seven years every single wow. day, just kept going. So, you know, it's really just grit, um, being young and dumb and having, you know, having a product that there's a demand for. For sure. So at the time of launch, looking at like the sacrifice level, where were you at in this time? And then your co-founders as well. So you just got fired. Were your co-founders working and were you working anywhere else at this time? So, no, I, since, since I got fired, I never got another job other okay. than saying cloud, although I was driving Uber while we, you know, in the beginning stages when we, I think for the first year I was driving Uber just to pay the bills. Um, Bruno also, Bruno pretty much quit the same day that I got fired, which was is a whole other story. I, uh, I got fired. Bruno saw me sitting in the parking lot and then he just went inside and quit. And then he moved in with me and Steven. So the three of us were living in a two bedroom, I believe 2014 of August is when we all moved in together. And we, none of us had jobs. I think me and Steve, I was driving Uber. Steven started driving Uber as well. And Bruno had some small savings that um that he had to hold us hold him through but our expenses were so low that we didn't really have much to lose yeah so prior to launch then um with no one really fully working you were doing uber at the time did you guys acquire any funding no we we did a little kickstarter where we it was it was a massive failure we only raised like fifteen thousand dollars and then we never raised any real funding. We got like a $10,000 loan from Wells Fargo at like crazy interest. I think it was like 11 or 12% interest that helped us finance like one purchase order. Yeah. And then we had, we honestly, I wouldn't recommend this, but you know, it's, it is a strategy. We just used our credit cards to, to, to kickstart our business. Yeah. Um, anything we, we took turns using our credit cards and we just kept applying for new credit cards and, I, I mean, this is not something you, you would teach someone to do or tell or advise someone to do, but this is yeah. what we did. It was kind of how we raised money. Wow. So at this time then, 
Um, was it just the three of you guys creating the products as well then at launch? What did the prototyping process look like for the blankets and pillows? Yeah, so we we had a we had a manufacturer that we found through an Etsy posting. Okay. We found a, a towel supplier in Turkey and we connected with him and he made our initial batch. Uh, he sourced, you know, he did the sewing of the pillows. Or no, actually no, he did not. We got pillows from another manufacturer and it was pretty funny. The, the, the towels and the pillows would arrive at our door in San, in Pacific beach, San Diego. It would pretty much be a mountain of boxes. And then we would bring them all into our apartment, stuff the pillows and the towels, roll them and then put our packaging around them and ship out from our kitchen. Wow. So that was, that was pretty much what we did for the first, I'd say year or even maybe less or a little like around a year. And then we realized that this, this strategy was just unsustainable. It was just, it was too much manual work. It was too expensive. The margins weren't as good. The shipping was a little high because of the bulkiness. Mm -hmm. So that's when we kind of scrapped the pillow towel and just focused on towels. And we stuck with our same manufacturer, the same supplier in Turkey, who we actually still use today. So when you stopped, um, distribution out of your kitchen then where did you go to at that point so after we outgrew the kitchen then we went to then we found a warehouse in san diego in sereno valley that we rented out we set up racks for inventory we had shipping stations we hired some people to help ship and we kind of treated it like our little distribution center mm -hmm. and then we we ran that for about another year year and a half and then we decided to pretty much outsourced the entire fulfillment center, um, fulfillment process. And we found a three PL to do our shipping. Okay. And that's where, we, that's where we stand today. Got it. So you mentioned earlier about Instagram advertisement. I was wondering, um, in your earlier stages, what were your main forms of advertising for the towels? Honestly, when I think for the first year before we really discovered Facebook and Instagram advertising, we would just direct message people on Instagram. We actually, we would stay up all night, the three of us. This was before Instagram would block you. And this was before the algorithm changed and became, it's become harder to do pretty much anything on Instagram. We would, yeah. we, would inst we would direct message thousands of girls, mostly sorority girls who we thought, you know, who our product was made for uh, a night. And I think we did our first like four, like $500,000 in sales from just direct messaging. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. So yeah. What was your main demographic then? So girls, is there a specific age group? It, I mean, it was, it, we thought that when we first started the company, we thought that we were going to be guys and girls and, you know, it was going to be 50, 50 split. But mm -hmm. as we started, as we started going and we started seeing who was buying our product, who was, you know, following us on Instagram, who was actually caring about our towels, it was mostly millennial females. So we just, targeted um, sorority pages on Instagram because that's where our target market was. Those were the people that cared for, you know, our product. Yeah. So, and, and, and now it's, 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 it's still female. It's still 95% female, but we are, our, our age range does vary. You know, we, we hit the 18 to 25s and then we also go higher with, you know, 40 to 50. We, we, we definitely, we try to, aim at all different age ranges, but primarily I'd say it's between 18 to 30 is our sweet spot. 
Got it. So in 2017, you guys decided to go on Shark Tank. I was curious, what led the three of you guys to try a shot on the show? So we, we, we applied to Shark Tank for four straight years. Okay. We, we thought that it was, it was the best free advertising you could possibly get. Yeah. And I had a friend that had been on Shark Tank and it was just something that by year four, we had really just wanted to do and just get on the show. And we knew that it wasn't going to make or break us, but we thought that, you know, we cannot, it, it's priceless eyeballs and, and notoriety and, and something that we can leverage down, you know, in the future mm-hmm. to help us reach our goals. So finally we got on and, and made a deal with Robert Hershevik and, and it's been great being part of the Shark Tank family. It's definitely had its, has its uh, pros. For sure. Internally, what was that experience like for you? It was crazy. I mean, it was, it was a roller coaster of emotions. It was a lot of, a lot of excitement, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. And then ultimately it was, it turned into like, a, it felt like an acid trip when we're on the show. Like you, we, you know, you, we watch every episode twice to study every question they could possibly ask all the, all the pitches and all the products and all the, all the ups and downs of the past presenters. And mm-hmm. before you know, we're standing on the carpet looking at Mark Cuban and then you kind of black out. Wow. So it was, it was crazy. I mean, it, it, we can barely recall being on the show itself. You know, if we want to remember what happened, we have to watch the episode. Yeah. So I've had some guests who have also been on the show before. Um, and as you mentioned, the free eyes on that episode airing is priceless. I was wondering, following your episode airing, were you able to notice a huge spike in traffic? Yes, but it was short-lived. Okay. Um, most companies that go on Shark Tank ultimately fail. I think that's something yeah. that everyone forgets. Forgets. Even if you have, you know, we had a big spike in sales that day. Obviously, it was one of our biggest days ever. Our website traffic was crazy. But it doesn't last. It pretty much the next day or two days later, you're back to normal. And that's, you know, so it doesn't make or break you at all. It's more just, can you build a sustainable business and, and use being on Shark Tank as just a little, a little trampoline to maybe nudge you ahead? Yeah. Got it. So looking at SandCloud today, what would you say overall separates SandCloud from your competitors? I think that, you know, what, what separates us is our focus on community and our mission and kind of combining our product assortment with our community and the, and the mission that drives them, which is our sustainability aspect, the, the nonprofits that we work with mm-hmm. and the lifestyle that we try to push, which is the, the beach lifestyle. Um, obviously, there's other beach towel brands out there and they're all great. Um, we don't really look at anyone as competition. We kind of just try to compete with ourselves yeah. every year and just con- consistently one up ourselves, whether it's on designs or it's on marketing or it's on products. We're just always trying to one up ourselves. We don't really focus on other brands. Um, it doesn't really do us any good. We just try to consistently outdo ourselves. Got it. So what does SandCloud currently offer product wise today? So our primary category is towels. Mm-hmm. We have our, our primary category is beach towels. We also have introduced bath towels uh, this year. We have a new bath towel collection coming out in April, which is which is really awesome. 
And then we have some, we have a few other categories that we've introduced such as apparel and, and accessories such as sustain, sustainable accessories like glass water bottles, mm -hmm. uh, metal straws, little bags and pouches for the beach. And then we also have some apparel. We have sustainable leggings made from recycled material. We have some t-shirts, hoodies, but our main categories are gonna are definitely the towels. Got it. Can SandCloud be found in any retail, or you guys are you guys one hundred percent e-commerce right now? So we are we're primarily e-commerce, but we are growing quite a bit in re, in brick and mortar mm -hmm. retail. We um, recently we brought on a whole sales team. We I hired a sales manager. And we are, we're growing pretty rapidly in that space. So I'd say we're probably in about 200 to 300 stores right now. Awesome. From a, oh, from a, yeah. Oh, yeah. From a consumer standpoint then, in what ways does their purchase help your mission? So we donate 10% of our profits to various organizations that support our mission. Um, it, they range from the CERP. Surfrider Foundation to Pacific Marine Mammal Center to the Marathon Turtle Hospital. We're always looking to give and also give a plat give our nonprofits a platform to share what they're up to and, and the amazing work that they do in marine marine life conservation. We kind of act like a a news hub uh, on our social media channels to give them a voice and a platform to share their behind the scenes and really what goes on on a day to day with their nonprofit and um, we try to just work with grassroots organizations where we know mm -hmm. where the money goes we know that the volunteers really need it because that's how we started uh, we, we never raised any money and we kind of looked at ourselves like still a startup even though you know we've grown quite a bit in the last seven years for sure that's awesome so I like to conclude each episode with this if you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur what would that be maybe something you've learned or regret just anything um I would say just, you know, don't, if you have an idea and, and, you know, you feel like the people that you share it with are not so receptive to it and they think that it's not really going to work, don't try not to let that stop you from doing it. Mostly, most of the time it's, it's just their insecurities and, and, and uh, you don't want to get advice from someone who you don't want their job. If, mm -hmm. if anything, try to share your advice with other entrepreneurs who are successful because they're, the, they're going to give you the, the nudge and motivation to do it because they've been in the same shoes. For sure. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out SandCloud at SandCloud.com. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.